This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to spend an evening with somebody very famous, perhaps a sports hero, a celebrity of some kind, someone in politics, a world leader? Well, you get the picture. A time when you could just sit around and talk and If you could actually pick out who you would like to sit around the kitchen table with, who would it be? Somebody posed that question to me not too long ago, and it really got me to thinking. Well, first, there were a myriad of names that passed my mind in a flurry, and then it slowed down a bit. I'll bet you have somebody coming to your mind right now, as I did. A lot of names came to me, and a goodly number of saints were in those thoughts. Saints like Padre Pio, St. Augustine, and the saint whom I selected as a patron when I was confirmed, St. John Bosco, or Don Bosco as he was known in his native Italy. And an interesting sidelight about the life of St. John Bosco was the number of saints with whom he had a personal relationship not to mention the tremendous accomplishments he achieved, in spite of tremendous odds and a close familiarity with poverty. Well, as you know, I won't have the opportunity to sit with him this evening, but I'd like to share with you just a tiny portion of his life and the accomplishments he achieved despite the hardships and tremendous odds But he never gave up, and we are still benefiting from his life, and perhaps from his dreams, too. Yes, dreams. He was the recipient of many special dreams throughout his life that guided him and not only came to pass in real life, but provided the direction he was to accomplish as he went on and left his lasting legacy to us. And though he won't be coming over for the evening, he's our story for today. John Bosco's father was a widower named Francis with a nine-year-old son named Anthony. The father later married Margaret Ociana, a wonderfully kind and considerate woman who not only accepted Anthony as her own son, but also took into her home Francis's aged mother. They were poor in money, but rich in the faith. They had a son born in 1813, followed by the birth of John Bosco two years later. Well, they lived in a small house, and while they lived in poverty, their home was happy and filled with contentment. But Francis died several years after the birth of John, and so the responsibility fell upon Margaret to hold the family together by providing for the family's livelihood herself, even though she had no education. She and the boys had all their own special tasks that were assigned, and she saw that they were accomplished. At the same time, she started and ended each day with prayers, asking God for his help while introducing the boys to the wonders of God. Life was hard. They were up at dawn and started their day's chores with but a single slice of bread. And as the boys left for their own assigned duties, she would remind them that even though they may be away from her, God saw them and what they did. They had a few fruit trees that produced a small amount of tasty foods, and when an occasional storm or frost would strip the trees of their produce, 
she would tell the boys, God has provided for us, and God gave them to us, and he could take them away too. He was the master, and his will would be done. In the winter months when the family would sit around the fireplace, the boys would sometimes exaggerate or enhance the happenings of the day to which their mother would say, be careful, God sees our most secret thoughts. Well, even though these would be trying times for even the affluent, life was that much more difficult for Margaret, her boys, and mother-in-law. Yet, the problems of the day were accepted, and if anyone in the village was in need or hungry, Margaret would find a way to share whatever they had with those in need. Not only was Margaret generous with the little she had, but also with her prayers, prayers at least three times a day, morning, noon, and night. John's stepbrother, Anthony, the oldest of the boys, was less even-tempered and often surly, and John compensated by being extra considerate of his mother and those around him. When times are tough, Boys seemed to often mature at an earlier age. By the time he was five, John was helping his mother help others and was an extremely bright child and was developing a desire to be helpful and and kind to those who were around him and in need. And that wasn't just at home. It was an interesting thing to note that What John did as a young child was very similar to what he would accomplish in manhood. It was not uncommon for him to join in and play with some of the roughest and most raucous boys in the village. This concerned Margaret, and when she spoke with John about this, he told her that he chose them specifically because when they played with him, They were thoughtful and didn't use the bad language that was prevalent when they played among themselves. And it was true. John's goodness had an effect on those around him. Well, as time passed, John herded the cattle, and as he did, his mind and thoughts turned to God and Our Lady, remembering the catechism stories he had been taught by his mother. These were the thoughts that filled his mind as he worked. He loved the stories, and he loved telling them to the other children, who more and more loved to spend time with John as he told them the stories of heaven, the ones that he had learned from his mother. By the time he was nine, he knew what his future should be. He wanted to be a priest, so he needed schooling, and the nearest school was three miles away. His older brother felt he should work in the fields as he did, and that school wasn't that necessary. But once again, John's mother came to his aid and encouraged his education and and his desire to be a priest. John would walk the three miles to school and three miles back every day of class and, and sometimes twice in all kinds of weather. Then, something very strange happened. The first of many such events in the life of John Bosco, the first of his many dreams. He would write about the dream, and he wrote, and I quote, When I was about nine years old, I had a dream that left a profound impression on me for the rest of my life. 
I dreamed that I was near my home in a very large playing field where a crowd of children were having fun. Some were laughing, others were playing, and not a few were cursing. I was so shocked at their language that I jumped into their midst, swinging wildly and shouting at them to stop. At that moment, a man appeared, nobly attired with a manly and imposing bearing. He was clad with a white flowing mantle, and his face radiated such light that I could not look directly at him. He called me by name and told me to place myself as a leader of those boys, adding these words, You will have to win these friends of yours, not with blows, but with gentleness and kindness. So begin right now to show them that sin is ugly and virtue is beautiful. Well, confused and afraid, he continued, at that moment the fighting, shouting, and and the cursing stopped, and the crowd of boys gathered around the man who was talking. Almost consciously, John Bosco wrote, I ask, but how can you uh, order me to do something that looks so impossible? And he said, what seems impossible to you must be something that you will achieve by being obedient and by acquiring knowledge. But where and how, John asked. And the man replied, I will give you a teacher under whose guidance you will learn and without whose help all knowledge becomes foolishness. John was thunderstruck and asked, but who are you? Well, the answer was spine-tingling. The beautiful person answered, I am the son of her whom your mother has taught you to greet three times a day. John explained, My mother told me not to talk to people I don't know unless she gives me permission, so please tell me your name. And the man answered, Ask my mother. At that moment, John said, I saw beside me a lady of majestic appearance wearing a beautiful mantle, glowing as if bedecked by stars. She saw my confusion mount, so she beckoned me to her. Taking my hand with great kindness, she added, Look. Well, I did so. All the children had vanished, and in their place I saw many animals. There were goats, dogs, cats, bears, and a variety of others. This is your field. This is where you must work, the lady told me. And then she said, make yourself humble, steadfast, and strong. And what you will see happen to these animals, you will have to do for my children. And John said, I looked again, and the wild animals turned into as many lambs, gentle gambling lambs, bleeding a welcome for that man and the lady. At this point in my dreams, John wrote, I began to cry, and I begged the lady to explain what it all meant, because I was so utterly confused. She placed her hand on my head and said, In due time, everything will be made clear to you. Well, John continued, After she had spoken these words, some noise awakened me. Everything had vanished, and I was completely bewildered. 
And this was not to be a singular visitor happening to John Bosco. His dreams would guide him for the rest of his life, usually giving him an insight as to what was expected of him as well as a preview of things to come. As the years would pass, the poverty of the family would sometimes require him to take a brief respite from his studies and work in the fields to help meet the needs of the family. He was recognized not only for his faith, which he practiced with scrupulous attention, but also for his wit and retentive mind and his uncanny ability of discernment. Normally, in his time, children made their first communion when they were about 12 years of age, but John, through the efforts of his mother, who worked hard to send him to special classes, well, he was able to receive his first communion at the age of 10. John then told his mother about his first dream, and she was convinced even more than ever that he was indeed destined to become a priest. During the Jubilee year of 1826, John and his mother attended several religious programs given by an older priest. And leaving for home one evening, John and his mother met the priest and stopped to chat. The priest asked John a question about his sermon and was amazed at John going into great detail, enumerating the many points the priest had made and giving his own interpretation of what the priest was intending to explain and the reason behind the words. Well, the priest, as I said, was amazed and asked John to serve his mass the following morning. Recognizing John's calling, the priest suggested that he come by every morning and he would start teaching him Latin. Well, as John would be growing up, his brother again was adamant that he give up school and work in the fields. Always obedient, John did as he was requested. At the age of 14, John was sent away to work in the fields as a laborer for a rich farmer. As young as he was, John worked hard all week and then spent Sunday teaching the local children what he had learned about his faith. Fortunately, John's uncle recognized his talent and calling and made arrangements for John to return home. And about that time, the property was divided up and John's older brother received enough to provide for himself and John was now free to look toward his future. He would go to a number of locations where he could work and help support himself while studying Latin. And when summer came, John would go back and work in the fields. But another dream was to get his attention. This time, a shepherdess, beautiful beyond compare, came to him in his dream, leading a flock of sheep. John, she called, come here. Do you see this flock of mine? Look. I give it into your keeping. My lady, said John, what can I do? How can I keep this great flock of sheep and lambs? I have no pasture for them. And then she said, don't be afraid. I will watch over you and I will help you. The following day, John ran into one of his farmer's friends who said, John, what makes you look so jolly today? more than usual. And John smiled and said, Today I know with certainty 
that I am going to be a priest. Well, as predicted, John grew in years and entered the seminary where he distinguished himself as an outstanding student. As he prepared for his ordination, he maintained his thoughts in a in a shabby little notebook that was his own personal guide. He wrote in his book as his ordination approached, and I, I quote, No priest ever goes to heaven or to hell alone. Faithful or unfaithful, he carries many with him. When it is a question of the salvation of souls, I will always be prepared to humble myself and to act. I will try to carry everywhere with me the sweetness and gentleness of my patron, St. Francis of Sales. Since work is such a power, I will not allow myself more than five hours sleep a night. Well, that was pretty impressive. At the request of the rector of the Ecclesiastical Institute in Turin, John returned for more training and additional studies in moral theology. And it was here that the dreams of long ago would blossom into beautiful reality. During his training, John would visit the prisons and and was horrified at seeing young boys of just 13 and 14 years old being imprisoned on a variety of charges, some for very small offenses. Voicing his concern, the now Father John Bosco, or Don Bosco, was told that once in prison, the boys seldom remained long in the outside world. Conviction after conviction would follow until a life of evil would bring about an eventual death from evil or life in the prison. Perhaps there was nothing more motivating in John's entire life than to find a solution in salvaging the lives of these young boys and, as in his dreams, to turn them into lambs. The following day, as John was vesting for Mass, he heard a terrible commotion. It was a sacristan beating a grown boy with a stick that he had been used for lighting, of all things, the candles for Mass. John stopped the beating and talked at length with the boy, asking him many questions. He found that he was an orphan with few skills and even less learning. John asked him if he could read or write, and the answer was no. He said, have you ever been to confession? Well, the response was that, well, perhaps when he was young. And John said, do you know any prayers? And the answer was, I've forgotten them. The boy felt uncomfortable about training or school. He was too big, almost grown up. The younger boys would certainly laugh at him, so there was nothing for him. And John Bosco said, if I teach you, will you come back tomorrow? The boy said he would, and Don Bosco added, bring others with you, your friends. And the boy returned with some friends. This was something new, something unexpected, something unusual. They were being treated with respect. The following Sunday, the group had grown to six, and within a few months, the number of boys coming to learn had grown to 80. 
John Bosco's friend, who was in charge of the institute, saw the progress that was being made and had allowed the boys to meet in the yard of the institute where it continued for three years until John's time there was up and it was necessary to find another location. The oratory, as it was called, moved around a lot at the beginning, and the huge numbers of boys frightened some of the neighbors, so they continued to be forced to move a number of times over the next few years. Many of the boys needed a place to live other than where they could find shelter on the streets of Turin that were pretty uninviting in the bitter, bitter cold of Turin's winter. John Bosco found a building that was suitable, but the owner asked for about the equivalent of $80,000 for the building. But after some strenuous negotiations or haggling, Don Bosco had argued the price down to $30,000, which didn't mean much since he had no money anyway. Well, then a priest friend brought him $10,000 that had been donated, and this person was wanting it given to some worthy cause, and miraculously, someone else had $20,000 to donate for something special, and the money went to John. I'm sure Don Bosco must have been pretty persuasive with the good that this oratory would do, and the donation was made to him, and John Bosco's mission was well on its way with a building to provide housing. What he was accomplishing was now not just for boys of the street, but others where they could learn the values of life while getting an education. It was John's dream to provide a reservoir of boys who may someday find a vocation to the priesthood. John's mother, Margaret, was now living there with him and took great delight in being able to provide her own special skills that would be helpful for the boys. Some boys were taught in the building, while others lived there and received more specialized training somewhere else, and the number of boys was growing at a rapid rate. Despite many difficulties and persecutions, the success rate was escalating. One of Don Bosco's worries was what would happen to his oratory after his death. And then he had an inspired idea. He would found a religious order named after his patron saint, St. Francis de Sales. They would be called the Salesians. And the order was founded with 15 seminarians and one high school boy. He was also preparing boys on the side for the seminary. These were the ones whom he identified as having a special calling. Money was always in short supply, but miracles were not in short supply, as John would learn time after time. In addition to his many activities with the youth, he was also building the great church of Our Lady, Help of Christians. And when he ran out of money at a very inopportune time, the payday for the workmen, well, he needed about 4,000 francs, and all he was able to raise was 1,000. As he walked the streets, a wealthy man's servant stopped him and asked him to pay a visit to his employer, who had been bedridden for three years. As he visited with the man, he mentioned that he needed 3,000 for the church, and 
The man said that he was too ill to be able to go to the bank to raise that much money. But he told John Bosco, I need your prayers. I hurt so much I can't move at all. If I get even a little relief, I'll make a generous donation to your work. Well, John told him, nothing is impossible with God, and gathered everyone in the house to pray for the man's recovery, which they did. And then, with the entire household as witnesses, the man recovered instantly. Well, he got up, dressed, ate a full breakfast, and then went to the bank, and the church was built. There are stories after stories of wonderful achievements miraculously accomplished by this holy priest. During confessions, he would ask the boys if they hadn't committed a special sin, and when they acknowledged they had, he would then ask them why they hadn't confessed it. There are hundreds of stories about John Bosco, including a vision of a fiery tongue over a boy's head, which was a sign that he should enter the priesthood. In 1883, an incredible dream revealed to him the future that would be happening way, way in the distant future, activities and of his communities. And in that dream, he saw automobiles, airplanes, and freeways as the means of transportation that would join the Salesians together on a worldwide basis. All of this took place in the next century. What can one person do? I think we've all asked that same question. At the time of John Bosco's death in 1888, there were now 250 houses of the Salesian Society in all parts of the world containing 130,000 children. John Bosco had selected the brightest of his pupils, teaching them Italian, Latin, mathematics, and this very special group provided the manpower for the other homes that quickly sprouted in other locations. By 1888, over 6,000 priests had gone forth from John Bosco's boys. Its members have also been in charge of hospitals, nurses for the sick, workers for the prisons, with houses literally now all around the world. As he lay dying, his final instructions were, Pray, pray but with faith, with living faith. His last words were a message for his boys. Tell them that I shall wait for them all in paradise. Frequent communion and devotion to Our Lady will be their safeguard. During his lifetime, he was often considered a saint, a description he would not allow. He died on January 31, 1888, and was canonized a saint on Easter Sunday in 1934. One of the Salesians planned ahead and started a scrapbook of his life while he was still trotting this planet Earth. It took 77 scrapbooks to contain all the information on his life. His dreams became famous, and many are included in books today, they make positive that beautiful song from Man of La Mancha 
the impossible dream, which is a wonderful hint for the patronage of young people. Bert Gessie, one of my favorite authors, writes in his book Mystics and Marvels, I would like to have met John Bosco in order to watch him firsthand with his boys. Perhaps his supreme generosity would have been contagious and would have awakened a spirit of kindness in me. And I think about how I would have reacted to his spectacular miracles, his supernatural healings. Well, I certainly share his views. In one of his dreams, a woman's voice was heard. She told him, take your crook and lead them out to pasture. St. John Bosco, confessor, priest, and teacher of the youth, proves that one person can indeed make a difference. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.